The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. Yesterday, Jim and I talked about how he and his team and the founder brought Zico Coconut Water mainstream with the acquisition of Coke. It was freaking awesome. Well, today we're going to have a conversation about why the world loves Fiji. I love that headline. Jim was obviously involved in a lot of beverage products, including Fiji water. And he knows the story. So here's my conversation with Jim Tonkin, founder of Healthy Brand Builders. What's up, dude? I told you we're going to, we're going to get two going. We're back. Oh, this is awesome, buddy. I'm thrilled to be back. Not too long of a break between our last visit, but yeah, uh, yeah let's let's bang it out. So talk to us about Fiji water. I mean, obviously, an iconic brand. Um, I've read it's like some of the best water for you. I've heard stories about like its square kind of deal and how one time the founder wanted to change it to circle so it fit in the car holder. Like just a bunch of fun stories. But talk to us about Fiji. I mean, what an iconic brand. Yeah, an amazing brand. I was very fortunate to be chosen as the first. Uh, kind of consultant that they were using when David Gilmore, the founder of Fiji Water, came to the U.S. Uh, back in 1994. Interesting, a precursor to the story is this is a guy who owned a bunch of hotels, small boutique hotels all over the South Pacific. And for those uh, listeners that don't know where that is, because uh, most people don't know where Fiji is, they only know about the white sand beaches and that it's supposed to be one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's in the middle of 11 million square miles of ocean, and there's about 300 islands in the chain. And so David uh, Gilmore found uh, one island, which was called Wakaya, and he built a small resort there, which was is probably the most exclusive resort in a uh, island setting that you've ever been to. And the guest list of people that stay there is like from George Clooney to Michael Jackson to Prince Charles. I mean, you know, they, they've all stayed there. There's only four rooms, and the rooms are thatched roofs, and but elegantly appointed. They all connect to a, a master kind of a living room and a giant commercial kitchen. They have every kind of activity you can imagine under the sun. If you want to fly an airplane, you want to do parasailing, you want to uh, learn how to surf, they have a nine-hole golf course, grass tennis courts, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, this is, that's David Gilmore. So he spent $7 million in 1993 and 94 building a plant with pretty decent capacity on the island of Viti Livu, which is where you fly into when you end up in Fiji. 
just outside of the main town called Nandi. Anyway, that plant is still there and it has grown in size, obviously, over the years. But the story is a simple one. David found the water on Fiji and became enamored with it, thought it was just unbelievable. And so he built this plant and then had to figure out how to make the plant work and to get some customers, right? So he came to the U.S. and eventually found me. And and I'll just share a quick story with you. When I met David, it was through one of his minions. And I was summoned to the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills, California, where David was in a two-bedroom suite. And if you've never been to the peninsula there, it's off the rails. And so David comes out in his silk robe and and silk-lined slippers and pajamas at 2.30 in the afternoon and sits on this couch and begins to tell me the story of Fiji water. Well, I had sampled the product. I had a bottle of it. So I was uh, kind of, I was pretty aware of it. I saw the outside boxes and what they looked like. And so after David stopped talking for uh, 30 minutes, he said, well, what do you think of, of my product? And I said, well, I don't think much of the water, frankly, David. I'm kind of a water snob. I've been in the business for many years. And I think a product that has 330 parts per million total dissolved solids is not for the American palate. And he just, I just stunned him. He, He just didn't even know how to react. And so I thought he was going to basically ask me to leave. And, but I actually pinned another statement to that uh, initial shock, (laughs) shocking statement that I made. And I said, but the bottle that you put this in is both iconic and game changing. And if you are interested in me working with you, in my opinion, that'll be the reason why this thing is successful. And so the square bottle to which you refer, which is still iconic and has not changed at all, only new sizes have been developed, was the reason, in my opinion, the packaging with that see-through label and the, the waterfall with the hibiscus leaf, that's the reason why Fiji became successful. So, Iconic, do you think the Iconic bottle was everything of his success? Do you think it was because he was well-funded? Do you think... I mean, obviously, I think now I've heard that the water product has gotten a ton better, so you must have worked with them on that. What were the ingredients for success, in, in your opinion? I'm, I'm sure you get into that part of the story, but just insane. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah, I, I can share with you and, and realize that this is my thinking as well, my friend. There's lots of people out there that probably think differently than I do because Fiji is clearly a very established brand in the premium water business today. Two, um, two, just quick thing, two quick questions, though. How many water brands have tried to make it and failed? Like tens of thousands or thousands or I mean. Yeah, thousands. thousands. And they're still, and Fiji today is still independent, right? Well, they're they're not independent. What happened was David was a, a senior statesman. I mean, he was an old guy at 72, which is almost what I am right now. When I first met him and I, I met him in 94. So that was 25, 30 years ago. And he his wife was young, much younger, like 25 years younger, and she wanted him to herself. And he was a workaholic, always traveling and everything. And so eventually they were in Aspen, where, of course, all deals are done, as you know. Yeah. And they ended up running into a family out of Los Angeles, which you may have heard of by uh, by the name of Resnick, Linda and Stuart Resnick, who oh, are. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're the most benevolent philanthropic family in Los Angeles, which is quite a title to hold. And they own the Wonderful Company. And the Wonderful Company is basically the founders of pistachios. They own tons of pistachio groves in in Northern California. 
They also were the founder of uh, Palm, Palm Wonderful, the pomegranate drink. And, and that's a story I could share with you as well, uh, the Linda Resnick story. She has a book out which uh, came out a long time ago. Uh, it's a really quick read, but it's, it's very fun. She's a bull in a china shop, a very smart marketer, tough to work with and for. But over on a napkin, David and Stuart basically put a deal together, and the Resnicks bought Fiji water from the Gilmores. And that was about maybe eight, 10 years ago now. And so the growth of the brand since then has all come um, under the Resnick umbrella. It, and they're amazing marketers. Is it distributed by one of those two? No. It's, no. no they, they, they have distribution alliances with lots of big companies from uh, liquor distributors in certain parts of the country, like Southern Wine Glazer. Yep. Um, and and they have uh, they have Dr Pepper Snapple bottlers that handle it. I don't believe anything with Coke and Pepsi, but they're in kind of what we call a bastard or the the third tier system. Yep. Uh, they also have direct delivery through certain means where they could sell truckloads of product to retailers, and then they're they're obviously online as well. So they're they're plugged in pretty much everywhere in the industry now. And they're if you want that if you want Fiji water, if you own a restaurant or a nightclub, or if you're a retailer, um, you can get the product. No That's problem. cool. I think of them maybe as independent. Okay, I got off track, but okay, so U.S. launch is about to happen for Fiji, or you're, you're working with David to figure out how to launch in the U.S. Yeah, so so I was, I, I was involved in the, just the early stages, and I ended up bringing a number of brokerage entities, which are now defunct, into play. And those players I managed, and they ended up, bringing the product to market, mostly starting in the Los Angeles, uh, San Diego area, moving to Arizona, and then moving up the coast, San Francisco, uh, and onward. And what, once we got like kind of right. the, just, just really, I keep cut, cutting you off, sorry, because you and I banter so much. It sounds like just one quick insight is from a CPG beverage product, it's definitely a market-by-market, hand-to-hand combat job. Absolutely. Um, yep. And particularly back then, the brand that was known as the international upscale water brand was Evian. Yep, yep. And you, you'll remember Evian, but if, if you look at the Evian brand now, it's a shadow of itself because brands like Voss Water from Norway, Icelandic Glacial, which by the way, I brought into the United States and ran for two years as well, have come into the U.S. And some of the other large international brands actually have, have left the U.S., like Volvic, and others that were here before. They just couldn't compete. So Fiji, you're right. Um, you, you mentioned a minute ago that David was well capitalized, and he was. I mean, he put $7 million cash into building that plant and never had a customer. Wow. I very seldom ever work with a company like that, <laughs> where they're yeah. that well. The, you know, I'm usually raising money for my clients. And was it, it was it instant market success when you brought it to L.A. through through the brokerage? Were people like this? No, it, I, not from a consumer. Yeah. Not from a consumer perspective, Scotty. It was the retailers loved it. But just remember, the water sets back then were not that big. And so trying to get four or five facings of, of this 16-ounce or one, a half liter bottle was not easy. And to your point, the square bottle worked really well in the retail environment, but lots of other places it didn't. It didn't work in any cup holder in any car in America. And so, as you know, the cup holders have been completely redesigned by auto manufacturers to be, they kind of have a, a little spring load in it so that they open large. And then when you insert something in there, they, they tighten up and they will hold a square bottle now. They basically changed the industry by bringing this square bottle 
to market. Icelandic Glacial as a brand followed suit and is also yep. in a rectangular bottle, uh, just like Fiji. But those are the only two really that are are making it in the marketplace that uh, followed suit and that's that square bottle. And to finish uh, my point, I believe that the packaging and the package itself was the key to success of Fiji water, not the water. Because it was differentiated. They were, no one was doing that. They were completely exactly. 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 And, and they were a higher end, more luxury customer. Exactly. And those people are voracious brand loyal consumers. Yep. Unique and different right. for sure. Yeah. And, and, the, and the product was gorgeous. Yeah. The, you know, and, when, and the, when you hold a Fiji water bottle in your hand, that's a badge. And yeah. the, the badge says something about you. It says, I can afford $3.89 for this 12 ounce or 16 ounce bottle of, of water. And so it, it says something about you as a consumer. And uh, people were really excited to do that. And it, it, coincidentally, it was really funny. Before we built, kind of got busy in building the, the brand originally, there was uh, the Evian effect, which women were getting very excited about. The liter and a half bottle that was ca being carried to exercise facilities and gyms across the country by women were typically bought once consumed, and then they refilled those bottles with tap water. But the fact that they were holding the Evian pink label gave them the alliance with an upscale product that says they would spend, you know, whatever, uh, $3.29 for that liter bottle. Isn't that an interesting phenomenon? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's part of the brand, the packaging, that, that makes a ton of sense. Exactly. Okay, we have just a few more minutes. I want to go with, because you just know all the new cool shit coming into the market. Talk to us about the new cool shit that's, that, that you think from a function standpoint is going to be hitting the market. And where do you think the beverage industry, the healthy beverage industry, CPG industry is going, food industry in terms of what's the next generation of, of products? Like we've seen caffeine, we've seen hydration with like coconut water. Like what's the next thing do you think? Well, I think it's kind of hard to prognosticate as an example. If you look at the cannabis and CBD space, you can see how fractionated and difficult it is for them to get traction in the United States, mostly because of the regulatory environment. And the FDA has not blessed pot as an acceptable item, except uh, on the medicinal side. So CBD is even less embraced, if you will, because there's there's very little written about it. Everybody knows the effect of THC. And I'm involved and invested in a cannabis company in Canada. And I do think based on our ability to manufacture a product that has no olfactory senses at all. You only taste the flavor profiles, which we developed in a craft beverage, emulating the old Stewart's root beer and Byerly's orange and things like that. Coca-Cola's original sweetened product. They're kind of high in sugar, but you can't taste or smell the pot taste or smell, which we think is amazing. And we, women are going nuts right now in Canada. So I, I think there's a lot of room to grow in the THC and CBD, potential CBD space. I think there's going to be a lot of growth coming in organic and natural ingredients uh, inside of beverages because water is one of the greatest conduits and delivery apparatus for these kinds of products. Some of them don't taste very good, so there's a lot of masking ability that that flavor companies and formulators are using these days so they get they get can get rid of the awful taste of things like ashwagandha that that are overpowering or you probably have had curcumin or turmeric ginger those kinds of things which which are in a lot of the immunity products today they're very harsh to a lot of people but they work 
And so I think there's there's going to be a lot of growth in that area around plant-based things and better for you things. A- anything that runs away from the traditional beverage that Coke and Pepsi used to make or still makes, but they're, you know, they're losing market share with those products domestically. They're still growing on the international stage because they're, they're much further, they're, they're much further behind us than, than our sophisticated palates here. But on the beverage side, I think water is going to still be a big conduit going forward. I think the development of things like sachets and stick packs where ready to drink water based products are not available is also an area of tremendous growth because you can put a lot of stuff in a five gram packet. And then when you're ready, you take it out of your pocket or your backpack or out of your kitchen cabinet and drop it in water, shake it up for a minute and drink it. And you get all the fresh benefits of whatever that powderized product can deliver. So I think there's a a lot that's going to happen in that space. As an example, you you may know of a product called Liquid IV, which was created by a local guy in LA who was a sweet salesman for one of the basketball teams. And he got a bunch of uh, celebrities to help endorse his product that were in the the athletics world. And he's ended up selling his company for $400 million to Unilever. And that's an amazing success story. So those kinds of things I think are going to continue to happen. And big companies are looking to the entrepreneurial community to be able to provide innovation because they are terrible at innovating. Mm-hmm. So what I would say to cons- uh, to uh, our entrepreneurs listening is two, a couple of things. One, don't take your 401k and put it into a business until you have looked under every nook and cranny before you start and make sure that whatever you're doing is really innovative, that there's a market for your product. It may take some educating to get the market to become mature, and that will be important and an onus of responsibility that falls on you to make that happen. I would start small and close to wherever you live or work. Try not to rush the process. Consumers are fickle and you need to beat them over the head a ton in order to get them to listen and to see you. Use every inexpensive way to get to your consumer that you can, which includes online, direct to consumer, using things like Shopify and Amazon, those kinds of of things, which you can do directly from your own website at very little cost, and you can control that cost. And, And try not to be a copycat. I don't take clients on and really never did, except in the early days in the late 80s when I started my consulting practice. I never took copycats. I always wanted newbies. And there's mm-hmm. problems uh, around that because trying to get these companies to uh, get on their, uh, anybody's radar is not an easy thing. So there's a lot of luck involved in getting to the end zone. Don't listen to everybody that tells you to change what you're doing all the time because opinions are like you know what. And everybody has one. And until you put a group or one person around you that you put amazing trust in, that they know what they're talking about and they can help lead you to the promised land if there's the promised land to be found, do it. Don't listen to consumers. They always want something different than what you're offering, a new flavor, a new package, a new size. You do things on your own strategic launch cycle and be true to yourself. Those are my little pearls of advice. And also, one last thing, don't raise more money at any given time than you need. And the the amount of money that you raise should be directly correlative to what your P&L says you'll need in the next 6 to 12 months. 
Whatever that loss is that you're projecting, that's what you need to raise. Oh, these, these are gold nuggets, man. I, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I know you've been around the block a ton with and seen every uh, mistake you know made in terms of launching brands. I couldn't agree with you more. Big thanks. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there because uh, I'm all fired. <laughs> so hopefully you are too. But that, that wraps up uh, this episode of the Rebrand Podcast. Huge thanks to Jim Tonkin, founder of Healthy Brand Builders. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to hear more, contact James. Uh, it says James on this thing, but I always call you Jim. You can find his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is Healthy Brands. Uh, that's twitter.com slash Healthy Brands, or business company website at healthybrandbuilders.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to therebrandpod.com, where we'll have summaries of all the episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter, or if you just want to talk about your most impactful marketing campaign, you can apply to be on the show and be a guest speaker on the Rebrand Podcast. Of course, you can always reach us on social media. Our handle is at rebrandpod on Twitter. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Don't think we're on Snap, but pretty much everything else. My handle on Twitter is at SharkyAZ. If you haven't subscribed yet and want daily stream of marketing campaign brilliance in your podcast feed, we'll publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be right back in your feed the next business day. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. Rebrand.